So this morning we're um, finishing up our series on um, our yearly planner, sort of the the um, New Year's resolutions that we might make as we begin the year 2020. And our hope and our longing is that we're as we live into what God has called us to, that we are experiencing the blessing that goes along with each of these things that we can obedient. Be obedient towards. This morning is no exception. This morning we're talking about work and what it means to work to glorify God, and that there are blessings that are also connected to that. Next week um, we are going to be beginning a series called Beyond the Ritual, and what we're going to be doing is we're going to be sort of discovering more about Lent. Um, Next week, actually this week Wednesday, is Ash Wednesday where we begin the season of Lent. And for many of you, when you think about something like Lent, you think more of like a Catholic ritual and all the things that can sometimes go around Catholicism because Lent has been a strong um, sort of uh, activity in the Catholic faith. But for you to know that Lent has actually historically been a part of the broad church for thousands of years. Um, Not just something that any simple, any one denomination or one group of people can own. And there's things that we can learn about what Lent is. Lent is that season that happens between Ash Wednesday and Easter, where we live into some understanding and thinking about how we prepare for the coming of the crucified Christ. In the same way that Advent is a uh, four or five week season, depending on the calendar, um, where we live in preparing for the coming of uh, the incarnation of Christ. Lent is a time where we're in preparation for the coming of the crucified Christ. So over the course of those weeks, we're going to do some learning. We're going to live into um, what God's word teaches us about certain habits, disciplines that can be a part of our growth during Lent. And so we would invite you um, to come back to church next Sunday at 9.30 and we'll begin that series. It's called Beyond the Ritual. I'm going to actually be doing, also doing my devotions. I, I write a daily devotional Monday through Friday. Um, if you'd like to sign up for those, you certainly can. Just send an email to frontdesk at com. And those devotions over the course of Lent will be all about what we're learning during that season. So beginning this Wednesday, those devotions will be going out as well. So we would encourage you to participate in that and then come back, of course, next week for worship. How many of you like your jobs? How many of you like your jobs all the time? People who work here at the river need to keep their hand up. (laughs) It's hard to like your job all the time, isn't it? It seems like there's always something somewhere in your work that is frustrating or challenging or something that can take away some joy. It's like, I like everything else, but now I got to do this. And it can take away the joy that we experience in life and experience in our work. How many of you have chores at home? How many of you love doing chores? How many of you, your favorite thing in the whole wide world is to fold, sort, and put away laundry? You're crazy people if you do. Those are also places where God has a call on us. How do we live into that call and an understanding of what God has given us? This morning we want to do some understanding about that. 
And this passage that we're going to be digging into in the book of, excuse me, the book of Colossians chapter 3, we have some commands for us. We have some teaching for us. And I need to nuance that teaching, which I will do in a moment after I read the passage, because we might initially see one of the first words of this passage and all of a sudden feel uncomfortable or feel like there's something here that um, we don't really uh, connect with. I'll help you understand why you can and why we should be connecting with this passage. So, we're looking at Colossians chapter 3. We're beginning at verse 22, and as we dig into God's word, let's ask for his blessing and his presence in our time of learning and growing. Father, be present. Pray in Jesus' name that you speak to our hearts and our minds through the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray, Father, that you move beyond what I have learned what I have put together here this morning, and that you take us to a place where you want to go. I pray, Father, that we can move beyond the distractions of the rest of life that we have ahead of us this week, and that even for a moment, we can hear you speak, we can listen to your voice, and we can be transformed by the movement of your Spirit among us. Lord, we pray these things all in the name of Jesus. We pray together. Amen. We're looking at Colossians chapter 3, beginning at verse 22. I'm going to read the whole section, then I'll go back and concentrate on some verses. Slaves, there's the word. There's the word that's uncomfortable. We'll get there in a moment. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it, not only when their eye is on you to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, nor not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. There's the blessing. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide for your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. We're going to begin by concentrating on verse 22. It says this there again. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you, and to curry favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. So we hear that word. We need to talk for a moment about slavery. Because certainly in the history of this country, that that word is a difficult and challenging word because it confronts us with injustice. It confronts us with um, activity and history in this country that is um, uh, worthy of shame, worthy of lament, worthy of repentance. All that is true. And, and I don't want to step away from that and say that is not true when we use the word slaves. But in this context, in this time, slavery, although there were certainly components that were similar to the slavery of the last 250, 300 years in this country, there are many nuances of slavery in the Roman Empire and in the world of Paul that are very different. You could choose to be a slave, and in fact, many people did. 
It became something that where if you had a debt or if you didn't have work or you didn't have uh, an apprenticeship or any of the other things that were a part of life in order to have gainful employment and a career or vocation, that you could enter into a slavery relationship and simply say to somebody, I will serve you for X number of years or a certain number of time. You may command me and I will do it and I will serve you. So there was some act of volition. There was choices made in order for people to be part of slavery. Now, certainly there were masters who were violent. There were masters who were certainly people who took advantage of those who indentured themselves to them as slaves. But there were many others that it was simply, in many ways, a workforce that was gained by a master, by um, a farm or a community in order to fulfill purposes where they would find, in that essence, this would be a job. This would be an occupation. And many slaves actually became very powerful. There is certainly um, uh, much historical evidence of slaves becoming some of the most wealthy people in the Roman Empire and in other empires as well because their position allowed them money and authority. So although we use the word slaves and we certainly should hear echoes of our history in this country of slavery, it's not something that we listen to that this, this word with all that nuance. It's a different thing. So when we're looking at it this morning, we're seeing this in many ways, the word slave, as those who work for another. Hope that makes sense. So when we hear it that way, what we're hearing is this, is that all of us as believers are called then to be good workers that go beyond simply doing a good job. What you're hearing God say to us in his word today is this is not just about making sure that you get your to-do list done, that you check off all the things in your job description, and that at the end of the day you can walk away and say, I've done a good job today. When we read this passage, we hear it's beyond that. That it's much more about the heart of how we work and how we see what it is that we get to do in our work. How do we perceive our job? Is it, um, for lack of a better image, is it a lead ball tied to our leg that we have to drag along in life just in order to fulfill our work and get our income? Or is it instead what this passage is calling us towards, an opportunity for us to see God at work in us and for us to serve him with what we get to do. We'll discover more about that as we continue through the passage. Verse 23 and 24 say this, whatever you do, listen to this, work at it with, what does it say? What does it say? All your heart. As working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone have any tension with their boss? Anyone? Yeah, Jim's nodding his head. Yeah, I got tons of tension with my boss. Jim works two offices down for me. For Jim, for all of us, 
not to see that person who has that level of authority and position over us. But this passage is calling us to change our view to see us as serving Christ, to serving God with all that it is that we do. And frankly, that shouldn't cause us to do less. It should cause us to live more into integrity because when I hear the command of God to love the Lord with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, all my strength, all that I have... It means that even as I approach my work, your work, our tasks, the things even that we become frustrated at doing, that we do so with a heart vision, not just a hand vision. Getting stuff done is good and getting it done well is good, but getting it done with a heart that proclaims, Father, you have given me this opportunity to serve you and worship you with this task, with this job, with this opportunity, and I will do it to serve you. But that's hard. It's hard for teachers. Why? Because teachers have parents of kids in their classroom. And sometimes those parents aren't very nice to teachers, right? Anyone have parents of teachers in your classroom who are tough to deal with sometimes? You're not going to put your hand up because the parent is in this room, right? (laughs) Sometimes if you're in the medical field, you have patients that are tough to deal with. Sometimes when you're in ministry, you have to deal with people. I love my job, it's the people I can't stand. When we deal with things like that, we come confronted with those things that are difficult for us to make the transition from this is something that I have to do to this is something that I get to do to worship Christ with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, all my strength. That's the shift. And that's the challenge. Because there are those things. Let me give you an example. I'm going to tell you about three things right now that make me pull my hair out. They're tasks and jobs that I have to do and get done, and they make me crazy. The first one is I have a kid in college, which means that this is the season for the FAFSA. Anyone have to do the FAFSA? It makes you nuts. It is so particular. It takes so many different columns. You have to share your income. You got to dig into all the stuff that you've ever done or ever earned or ever have and tell the government about it so they can tell you how many loans or different things that you will get for your kids. And you have to do it every year. It's like, come on, people. I did this last year. Can't you just cut and paste and show it for the same thing? But that doesn't happen. And it takes a long time. And you got to remember the password that FAFSA gave you. And it makes you crazy because it's a super special password with a PIN number. And I never remember those things. FAFSA. And guess what's coming up? April 15. Yay! Tax time. How many of you are excited about doing your taxes? There are crazy people here who love doing taxes. And yet, you need to go through all that. you got to put all the paperwork together. Some of you were mad at Jim because he didn't hand out all the donation receipts that we got here at the river. I think we're done now, right? We're done. Okay, you can go up to say, say to Jim, I'm sorry, Jim, I was impatient. we got to do taxes. Um, and 
I'm trying to think. There was one other thing that I had to do. I'm trying to remember. Anyway, I'll remember in a moment. Here's what I know. I know that my taxes are an opportunity for me to worship. Can we say that? Can you say that? Can you approach it like that? God has given me gifts. I have an income. God has given me a government. I may not certainly always agree with it. But because of the government that I have, I can drive down the street. We can get mail. There are things that are offered to us in our freedoms and in our liberties that we can enjoy because we have the opportunity to pay taxes. I have to do my FAFSA because I have a daughter who has the capacity, ability, and opportunity to be in college. That's a gift. And despite the fact that it can be frustrating and make me pull my hair out and make me crazy, it's one of those things that in that there is blessing. By the way, I just remembered the third thing. It's actually a, it's, it's 3A and 3B. I have to get my passport renewed and I have to get a real ID. That means that I need to deal with the California DMV. How many of us can think about the California DMV office that we enter into as a sanctuary where we get to worship God? But isn't it? Isn't it? Hold on here. Let's, let's, let's read it again. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Whatever I do, that means when I'm going to get my passport, when I'm going to get my ID, when I'm filling out my taxes, when I'm doing my FAFSA, when I'm doing the things that are hard to do, difficult to do, that are sometimes those most frustrating things in my work or the tasks in life, they are all opportunities to give unto God what is His in my worship. Give Him my best. Give Him what He asks of me. That I am serving him as my master. And if there is ever a time that I'm not giving my whole unto the master who is God, what am I? I am in sin. This is an opportunity for us to live holy lives of worship in our activity of serving Christ. Let's continue verse 25. It says this there. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs. And there is no favoritism. It's a challenging little verse there. Paul gives us this little nugget that reminds us, friends, if we're not living into this, we're not going to experience the blessing which is previous in the text. The blessing is this. It is you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as as a reward when we're not living into that. We're missing out on the inheritance. We're missing out on the blessing. And there is no favoritism. I can't say, because I'm a Christian pastor who lives and serves and works for the church, God will iron over my disobedience. None of us can say that. Ultimately, there is a call of God when the time comes and Christ comes again. Yes, grace is free. Yes, the entrance to heaven and the being God's presence for all eternity is through the grace and the fullness of God's love for us in Jesus Christ. Yes, and that is something we don't earn and we don't work hard for. It is simply a free gift. 
Absolutely. And yet, we've been given that gift in order to live into obedience. And that is something that will gain reward or won't gain reward. How you live in light of the grace that Christ has given you, the grace that gets you into his presence for all eternity, free gift of grace. When you get into that spot, Christ will look at you and say, what is it, servant, that you have done with the talents, the ten, the five, the one that I have given to you? What is it that you have given back to me with your work, with your job, with your time, with your energy, with all the things that I gave you the privilege of being involved with in life? What is it that you gave back unto me, not only in your worship, but in your proclamation to all those around you, in your workspace and in your world, of who I am to you. That's the problem oftentimes that we have. If we don't live in obedience to Christ, there are those moments that those around us look at us and say, I thought you were a believer. I thought you followed Jesus. I thought you were a person who took your faith seriously, and yet I see you living into this, and this doesn't look a lot like Jesus. There's consequence. And we need to recognize that consequence and live to experience the blessing. The final verse is this, verse 1 of chapter 4. Masters, provide for your slaves what is right and fair. Because you know that you also have a master in heaven. So there, the words that we see there, right and fair, in the original Greek text are justice words. They're actually legal words, courtroom words. What God is looking for us to do as we work and interact with those that we are both above us and below us and beside us is for us to live into work of justice. What is right and fair? What is good? How is it that we show love for those who we work with, interact with, and live with in the tasks that we get to do? And if we're not living into justice, that there are consequences to that. Paul intentionally uses the word master. You see it again. Masters, provide for your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. He's trying to give us the image of a master who serves and gives themselves up for another. That you and I are equated with that sort of master gives us the call then to give up ourselves. Right? We hear that phrase over and over in the text. We hear words like, take up your cross, live into the difficulty, give up yourselves, love another before yourself, put them before yourself, so that we, as we live into that in our workspaces, in our world, whatever tasks that we get to do, we have opportunity to live like Christ lives in us. Christ is the one who gave himself up for us as our master. And then we get to emulate what happens. Um, we get to emulate that and how we then live in the world around us. And all of us have seen it work out, right? We've seen people who have lived into this well, and we've also seen people who've not lived into this well. I've lived enough life to see people who've lived into work and business and just their lifestyle in ways that either glorify God or don't glorify God. Two in particular that I just want to bring up to you this morning. One is John. Um, John was very successful. 
still is, I believe. I haven't spoken with, I spoke with John actually about eight months ago, but I didn't check with him about how his business was doing. But John was the sort of guy who, he was successful enough that he made sure that people saw it. You ever met those people before? Like they make sure that, you know, like every year they got the new car and it's the new car with all the bells and whistles. His house, I'm not kidding you, there was, um, they had a chimney, and at the chop- top of the chimney was this grate that they caught all the, the um, big embers and stuff like that. The grate on the top of his chimney cost $5,000. I'm not kidding you. Like, I couldn't believe it when I heard that number. But he made sure that people knew that number. Now, John was a follower of Jesus. He at least said so with his mouth. And he was a person who, in his success, wasn't always successful in showing others Jesus. In fact, if you talk to people about John, what you would find out is that he would mistreat the vendors that he worked with. He would mistreat the people that he worked for, and he would, he would try to swindle things, he would try to manipulate things, he would try to, in a sense, get things underhandedly. And he would also do the same thing with the people who worked for him. And the problem that John had is he was old enough and he was public enough that everyone knew it. And there were people in the church who wondered about John's faith. Do you really know the grace of Christ? Because it's really hard to see it. And what's even more tragic is that there were people in the world around John who said more or less this phrase. I want nothing to do with people who follow Jesus because I know John, and if that's what it means to follow Jesus, I don't want to be that. The testimony of John was broken because of how he lived into living and working in the world around him. But then there's Randy. Randy also was equally successful. In fact, I would say that Randy probably had about the same bank account and has the same bank account as John does. Both incredibly successful men. But Randy exhibits it and lives into it in a very different way. One of the things that he constantly asks, and he's been asking this question for years, is am I caring for the people who work for me in a way that they are comfortable that they are cared for, that they are watched out for, and that is, important word, just. And what has happened is this. John's employees generally lasted about six to eight months. Randy has employees who have been with him for two decades because Randy has cared for and nurtured relationships with those people who work for him. There are vendors who go out of their way to come to Randy and say, hey, we want to do business with you. We'll take a cut on the profit that we might make simply because we believe very strongly that working with a person like you may not be as good for our bottom line, but it's, as, it's wonderful for our business. And it's striking because Randy, to my knowledge, he's been an office bearer at least four or five times in the church because people in the church look at him and say with their hearts and their minds, there is a person who walks with God and he wears his faith on his sleeve in all that he does. In fact, about a year and a half ago, Randy received a reward, uh, a reward for how he lived. He received an award as the top producer in his particular field in the entire state of California. And it wasn't the top producer in terms of bottom line numbers and profit. It was in terms of integrity. 
He was someone that people trusted. Someone that people continue to go for, for, go to for advice. And certainly people come to him to feel a sense of belonging and love. Friends, are you Randy or are you John? And the beautiful part is, is that I know many of you. And I know that many of you are much more Randy than you are John. You are much more a person who longs to be somebody who loves the Lord your God with all your heart, all your time, all your strength, all your work, all your accounts, all your profit, all the things that you get to do each day. There are people in this room who see their classroom as an opportunity to worship Christ as they teach young people in terms of math, geography, Spanish, all the different things that they get to learn. All the people who in the medical field, so many of you who are living into that in ways that you see God's image in your patients and want to love and serve them as they walk through challenges and difficulties. People who are in business, many of you, I see you wanting to be a person of integrity. You're wanting to care for the people that you work with and the, that you work for, and you want to see them flourish, and in that you want to show them Jesus. Friends, be reminded God has called us to live into this command to serve him with all that we have and all that we get to do because he wants to give us that blessing, an eternal blessing. You notice the word that Jesus uses when he thinks about the sheep and the goats. He says to the sheep who come into his presence to receive the reward, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. For you and I to continue to live towards receiving that phrase. I don't know about you, but when I think about when I breathe my last, when I think about that opportunity to see God's presence for all eternity, but very, for the very first time, I long and I hope for those words because he's equipped me to live into the world around me in obedience and in love to show the world Jesus. Let's pray. Father, you equip us through the Spirit and with gifts and abilities to serve you. We get to serve you in so many different ways. Yes, we get to serve you in our vocation. Yes, we get to serve you in how we manage our household. We also get to serve you in how we drive down the road. We get to serve you in how we do some of the to-dos in life and the tasks that are ahead. We get to serve you even how we vacation and rest. And when you call us to do whatever it is that we do to glorify you and to serve you, Lord, may we take that to heart. May we long to be people whose hearts are transformed enough by your grace that we want to serve you in all the different ways that you get, give us to serve. And Lord, if that's in our workplace, may we do it well. If it's in our homes, may we do it well. If it's at the DMV, give us strength to do it well. In all things, Lord, may we serve you well and ultimately look forward to the reward and the blessing that you have for us ahead. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.